Hello, it is time for Blogging 411. Today we are talking about DIY blogging. We're going to kind of let you know what you need to know to be a good DIY blogger, and I am very, very fangirl over our guest today. So I am Allison Carter. I am the co-founder and managing director of the NC Blogger Network. We host Blogging 411 every other week, and I am going to let Tiffany introduce herself. Uh-oh, is Tiffany there? Hi, guys. And I'm one of the regional ambassadors for the NC Blogger Network. Um, I can't wait to get a little bit of info on the whole DIY thing, considering I always call myself a DI don't. So let's see if Megan can enlighten me a little bit and take away a little bit of my fears. Yeah, so let me tell you guys that I have been following Megan forever. I love her stuff. It's so inspirational. And I, I'm going to admit, I'm fangirl today. I She popped up on my screen in a video chat, and I saw this craft room that I've been watching be remade over the Internet for a long time, and it was like, oh, there it is in person. So I'm going to let Megan introduce herself. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. My name is Megan Deusterhaus. I am a military spouse and craft DIY home decor blogger. I live in eastern North Carolina with my marine husband and my four-year-old son. And um, blogging and making over my house has kind of been my way of navigating myself through stay-at-home mom life and military life. And I'm really passionate about creating a home wherever we live. So DIY crafting has become my way of creating something that's just ours every time we move around. So all of my, most of my um, projects and things that I show on the blog are renter-friendly, moving-friendly, take them down, put them back up easy. Everything can be peeled off the wall or, or taken down. So um, I really try to focus on a home no matter where the military sends us. And the beauty of that is that her designs always look like a million bucks. So even though it's very friendly, they always look like they're top end, and I think that that's fabulous. So let's let's jump right into, I think, maybe the biggest topic about DIY blogging, and I'm just going to ask this right away. But it seems as though DIY blogging, besides people like Tiffany and I, where we know we don't craft, is insanely popular right now. People kind of understand it as a good game way into sponsorships and affiliate links and ads and that sort of thing and it seems like there's a huge trend right now to be a DIY blogger so Megan I'd like to hear from you if somebody is starting out or if they've just started or if they're not getting the traction that they've been wanting what do they kind of need to consider about finding voice and maybe standing out as a DIY blogger sure the um, the craft DIY home Blogger network is huge. Um, a lot of bloggers use the term oversaturated, which unfortunately is a pretty accurate term. And it is really hard to stand out. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk about having to create these spaces and create these photos that are pinworthy and to really make yourself stand apart. For a long time, I wanted to start a blog, but I held myself back from starting one because I didn't know how I would, would differentiate myself from other bloggers out there. And then one day, it occurred to me, I was setting up our last house, not this house, but our house back in Virginia, and it occurred to me that what I do as a military spouse was really unique. And I thought about, I could chronicle all of our homes. 
I see a lot of bloggers having to make over room after room after room or buy second houses to keep having projects. But one great thing about being a military spouse is we get a new home every three years. And so I knew that not only would I have a constant flow of content, but I had a really unique niche to show that I can't tear down walls, I can't tile backsplashes, I can't do things that a lot of bloggers do beautifully and show beautifully, but I have a, a unique thing to offer not only military spouses, which I think is a community who is hungry for this type of idea, but also renters, college kids, people who are in between homes. Um, there's a huge part of the population that does not have a home of their own to make real changes to. So it just kind of occurred to me that that could be my niche and that is something that I could set myself apart from. And that is what was kind of kicked me into actually starting a blog because I felt like I did have something unique to offer. So I think my biggest piece of advice in that realm is really think about not trying to emulate someone else or be like your favorite blogger, but think about what you have, whether it's a skill, a writing voice, a life circumstance, whatever it may be that you can offer. Um, yeah, it's, it is a pretty saturated market, but I feel like the, the, the military uniqueness of my story is what sets me apart and is something that I'm even trying to bring more in because I am seeing that it is what sets me apart from other bloggers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I think is hard for DIY bloggers and craft bloggers and home bloggers is to find something that is sustainable that they can stay passionate about. You know, I've seen a lot of bloggers start out strong, but then they kind of lose that motivation for where they started with their topic. And we have a blogging for one one episode that we talk a little bit about rebranding. But I, I think, Megan, I think what you said really is crucial. Like you have to find your niche, but you also have to find something that's going to be sustainable for you, that's going to keep yes. giving you what you love to do. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think we're kind of in a funny spot right now because we are finishing up at our current home and we are getting ready to make a move into our sixth home. And the projects have come to a very slow roll lately because the reality is, is when you're getting ready to move, you don't do a lot. I'm not going to start new projects. So, um, however, I am chomping at the bit to get into our next house, and you readers better believe things are going to start rolling at you pretty fast. So, it is. Um, it's been a little frustrating period of time for me the last few months because I feel like, what can I work on that makes sense? But we're heading into a really big move, so I can't invest money, I can't invest time when there's other things I need to be doing. So having that fresh content every few years has really helped me out. Um, but it is, it is hard to kind of that. What am I going to post next? What can I generate next? It's a hard thing to keep up with. Um, so I am thankful I have the moving excuse, but um, losing steam is something that is very real. There are times when I don't want to DIY something. I actually just bought a jewelry organizer, so when we move, I want to pack up my jewelry in it. And of course, my first thought was, I'll make it. And I'm sitting there going, I don't have to DIY everything. I can actually find one and buy one. <laughs> so there is kind of that burnout of you feel like you've got to make everything, but I don't have every skill out there. I'm not good at everything, really, I promise. So. Um, to, to know when to step back and it's okay not to make it a big project, it's okay to not DIY everything is a good skill to have as well. 
How did you first find that you had a passion for DIY? Because, like I said, I know that crafting and figuring out how to do stuff on my own is not necessarily a skill I have. Um, I can do it, I guess, if I'm pushed. Like, you know, when school projects roll around, okay, I figure it out and I get it done. But it's not like my passion. How did you realize that crafting, DIYing was something you actually had a passion for? So I grew up with a very artistic mother. She is one who did everything and did everything well. So I, it has always been around me. I had homemade clothes, homemade quilts on the bed. I and mean, it's just something that I grew up around a woman who used her hands to make everything. So I think it was instilled in me from a very young age. I wasn't really a, a product artist. like a, I actually grew up dancing, and that was my form of creativity. And when I actually quit dancing, I noticed, as I look back, I noticed that my projecting is when it kind of took off. And then DIYing really happened after I got married. My husband and I moved to Okinawa, Japan, courtesy of the Marine Corps, and we had been married two weeks, and I found myself living on this island where I didn't know anybody. I was 24 years old, and I, I'm looking at all these, this is before Pinterest, before blogs, before really the internet was a big thing, and I remember looking at all these magazines, and for the first time I said, wow, I could actually make a little home. It's not a dorm room. It's not a bedroom in my parents' house. And I was talking to my mom, and she said to me, if I send you a sewing machine, will you use it? And I said yes. And she sent me a sewing machine in our tiny little apartment in Okinawa, and I sat at the table and taught myself to sew. Again, no blogs, no nothing. I took a, a class in high school, so I kind of had to remember how things worked. And that totally just sparked everything. And this was years before I started the blog. So if you look back at my embarrassing pictures of my very early blog work, my first homes were not so good, but it's just something I've always done. I've always been really passionate about making base housing not look like base housing. Mm -hmm. There is something so empowering about making something with your own two hands. I think in the beginning that was a, a lot of it. I didn't have a job. I was alone. My husband was gone. I was in this foreign country where I couldn't speak the language. There is just something about taking fabric and making it into a pillow that is so empowering and it just became very addicting. So it's something that we're coming up on our 10-year wedding anniversary so it's been almost 10 years of doing this um, even though I've only been blogging about the last few years. I'm going to ask you how do you find the balance being a DIY craft blogger between making sure you're inspiring people and making sure you're not overwhelming them with your amazing talent that they might be at the beginning of. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, if they're just starting, and by the way, if you haven't, you need to go onto Megan's blog and read about her story about her mother and what she's doing in tribute to her mother because it's beautiful and it makes you cry. <laughs> um, but you have to, you know, how do you find a way to say, I'm inspirational, I'm just like you, but I'm actually, I'm, I might actually have a lot of years' experience and be really awesome at this. Like, <laughs> it's actually, it's funny you said that because just recently I, I was talking to someone at church and her son babysits for my son. And she always asks her son, does her house really look like it does on the internet? And her son is like, yeah, that's what her house looks like. And I could tell she was a little intimidated by it and a little, not put off by it, but a little like, what I do can sometimes seem untouchable. And that's it. And I was, it was a very good learning conversation for me because I never want to um, overwhelm people or intimidate people with what I do in my house. I am a, a go-getter. I'm a type A personality. Again, I try to DIY everything when sometimes I shouldn't. So I do think that sometimes people will see what I do, and even though they're on a rental, and even though my project was inexpensive or easy, they may sit there and go, I'm not doing that. You know, so I, it is a hard balance. There are things I have done in this house that I'll probably never do again. 
because they were really labor intensive and they're not practical for a lot of people. One of my goals for our next house is actually to come up with some really approachable things that people who aren't crafty or people who don't want to spend two days faux tiling their kitchen with vinyl, mm -hmm. um, one of my hardest projects that I will probably never do again. Um, not normal people do that. You know, DIY bloggers do stuff like that. So I do want to come up with projects that do seem approachable. But I, I tend to get carried away, which is one of my um, flaws. And I do use the word, this is so easy or simple on my blog a lot. And I, I do need to keep in mind that not everyone is naturally crafty. Not everyone is naturally handy. Um, so that is something I'm trying to, to focus on for the next move. Yeah, I would think that for a lot of bloggers, especially if you're getting started and, and as you grow, like that's hard to find that balance because they're, they're, your audience grows with you, right? I mean, they as you give them more and more projects, the theory is that they're getting more and more adept at the projects too. So I think that growth is kind of, you know, hard to manage. And one of the big questions, another big question I have is we talked a little bit about this earlier with you know, trying to stay inspired and trying to find the right projects to fit what your goal and mission is. How do you make an editorial calendar? Because one of the things I've noticed, or do you, one of the things I've noticed, I've seen a little bit of a change in your blog lately that I like, but I noticed that when you've been doing these, like the parties that you have up right now, you've been able to kind of break that into a whole bunch of different unique posts instead of one big party post. You know, we're getting a couple of different how-tos related to the party post. So how do you go about planning what you're going to do content-wise and how to make it work best for you so you don't get overwhelmed and feel like you have to... Because I would think that with a DIY blog, if you're trying to post three to four times a week and you're thinking, i got to DIY something new three to four times a week, how do you do it that? It catches up so fast. I, um, so a, a big secret is up until this past December, I did not have a blog calendar. I just kind of... I'm always working on something, so I just kind of posted what, what I was working on, whatever came next. But then I would have these long, you do find yourself on Sunday night with nothing done or photographed or ready to be photographed or it's cloudy and you can't get photos of it. And you go, shoot, I, I have literally nothing to post for Monday morning when I've got five projects in various stages of completion. And it was very stressful for me, and I, I conducted a reader survey at the end of last year. and. And it was very affirming in a good way that my readers also found it a little annoying that I was a little sporadic and that kind of thing, or I'd promise a reveal and it wouldn't be done yet. So one of my goals for this year was actually to create an editorial calendar. And I have been sticking to it loosely. Um, and it has actually made a world of difference. So I would say for seasoned bloggers who don't use an editorial calendar, try it. For brand new bloggers, it's it, it has made a huge difference. I don't know if you can even see. I have a, a board back here that I write my post. I for some reason I work bottom to top. It makes more sense to me. I think because I'm short, um, but it really helps plan ahead because I can see what posts are coming up over the next two to three weeks. And that's when I sit down. I work primarily during um, when my son is at school, during quiet time, and then in the evenings. And so there's times I hate. When, I when he's at school, I sit down and I don't know what to work on. It's wasted time. It's wasted energy. So this is a, by having my posts in a list, it helps me prioritize what project comes next. What needs to be finished? What needs to be photographed? Okay, that post is coming up. Um, so that, that has absolutely changed how I function. And I, it has now allowed me 
to post on a very regular Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule, which I have never been able to do. And admittedly, there have been times where Sunday night comes along and I'm kind of scrambling, um, but it has allowed me to work far enough ahead that I'm able to kind of put a post together. What I wanted to do is pull in things that aren't so project heavy. I've been amazed at how much my readers are enjoying when I revisit past posts. That's something new I've been doing is following up on something I did years ago to see does it still look the same, did it work, did it stay together. I'm actually getting ready to do a second installment of that. So I'm learning how to kind of massage my content to get more posts out of it. I've also, um, I know as an avid blog reader of myself, I get a little frustrated when I don't hear from my favorite bloggers and then all of a sudden they give me one post with all of these projects. And I'm like, couldn't we have learned about this along the way? Because I can't take it all in. I'm oversaturated. So I have found there is a delicate balance between milking content and spreading out content. Um, there, I did have some feedback that when I was making over my son's bedroom last summer, it just felt so monotonous because I was posting the pillows, then the curtains, then the bedspread, then you know, it just became same room over and over and over again. So I'm learning that you can spread out content. You don't necessarily need to do it all in succession. You can sprinkle in those other non-project related posts. Um, so it doesn't feel as repetitive, and then not not everything needs to be documented. With my son's party right now, I picked one or two things that I want to highlight on because I don't want to. I did so much work for that party. I don't want to just do it all in one post. I'd like to get a few more posts out of all of that work, but I don't want to mm -hmm. throw plain party stuff at my readers for two weeks because I could potentially lose a lot of readers who aren't interested in that. So I've been doing one post a week for the past two weeks. I've got one more coming up next week, and then that'll be the end of it. So, yeah, I'm definitely one of those bloggers who are guilty of not using an editorial calendar. I'm trying to start. I tend to write like as something happens, and then I just like either I'm in the midst of it or I run home and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get this out. And then two days later, I'm like, now what am I going to write for the rest of the week? So I'm trying to start scheduling stuff out. It's been a slow process, but I know that it's definitely going to be a lot more beneficial to my readers, to my site, and even for productivity's sake, because yeah. those times where, like you said, I do Monday you know, through Friday, and usually weekends I don't write as much, but then I've come to those Sunday nights too where I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, I don't have anything to write, and oh my god, did something happen this week? Like I'm trying to scramble and think of something that I can get out. Or even in my newsletter, I'm so guilty of this this week, where I promised to reveal something like that happened, and then I just did not get it out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad, and I hope they don't notice, and if they notice, yeah. I hope they'll forgive me, <laughs> and just realize life just happened and I couldn't get it out. But I know if I would have scheduled that stuff out and maybe had it posted and just saved, it wouldn't have been as much pressure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree that the editorial calendar is definitely a must, even for a spare-of-the-moment type writer. The productivity component is really the piece that I was most surprised about. It really helps me, because there's times where I really want to work on this project, but I have three deadlines, because I write for a bunch mm -hmm. of other websites as well. I've got three deadlines that I need to get to first, so I can't work on that right now. So it's really helped me prioritize my work and help me be more productive. Um, oh, and I had one more thought, but now, oh, just with pictures, the photography piece is really what slows down when you are a DIY blogger. You need good light. Like, today's a beautiful day to take pictures, but I have nothing done and ready to photograph at the moment. Um, so timing, 
timing the light, you plan to take pictures on one day, but it's cloudy, that can really stall me up. So having other things to kind of put in there has really helped. Another thing with the scheduling that um, also just came to mind, I've started to do some series that mm -hmm. I, I schedule out a quarter at a time and then I refine each month because things need to get shifted around as you go. But by working a month at a time or three months at a time, it allows me to make sure that I'm following up on my series on a regular basis because otherwise I feel like I would go, oh, I started that series in January and now it's August and I haven't written on it. So having... I look at my three months at a time and say, I need to cover that series at least once, I need to cover this series at least once, and then in quarter two, I can I can hit the series again. We actually, um, I love the fact that, and I'm kind of blown away, that your readers notice. And I think, I always think, I, you know, I blog for fun for my freelance writing on the side, and I always think, nobody's paying attention to my blog, like, whatever, I could put something up this week and not for three weeks, and who cares, like, there's so many blogs. But it's so interesting to hear that your readers spoke to you and said, like, yes, we notice. Um, I have to say, that was actually a really big eye-opener for me. It is very easy, no matter how big or small of a blog you are, to feel one way. You put so much content out there, you put so much work out there, and and I'm guilty of it too, you, people don't comment as much as they used to, people don't share and that kind of thing as much as I think they used to, and so sometimes it can feel very one way. So I went on this total limb and gave this reader survey, and I was shocked at the, like, there are people out there reading, and they have thoughts, and there's things that they like, and I was so grateful that they shared them with me, because in that instant, even with my first 10 survey responses back, I had an audience. I knew who I was writing for, I knew what they liked, and I'm still going to write what I want to write and post what I want to post. I had some people say they don't like the party stuff. I do. That's what I. That's part of who I am. It's what I love to post. So they can just tune those out. Hopefully I don't lose them in the long run. Um, but it has been so nice to get feedback back because I want people to enjoy what they're reading. And I don't know what's coming across right, what's not. What pe like I would have never guessed that people wanted to hear about my military lifestyle. Like I just kind of thought... I'm, I'm so used to it, I'm kind of saturated with it because it's the community I live in, but I think it's really fascinating to a lot of people. So getting that feedback has really been a huge turning point for me this year. And, and I, what prompted you to, to do the reader survey? Did you just say, oh, you said it was on a whim. Like, I've been considering it, but I'm not even sure where, do you post it on your blog? Do you post it on your Facebook? How do you get so them to actually it. respond? I, uh, you know, a lot of my favorite bloggers do surveys, and I love filling them out because I'm not a big commenter. I need to be better. I'm trying to be better because I love to get comments. Um, so I wanted to let them know what I liked and didn't like about their blogs. And I actually was reading, I um, signed up a Beautiful Messes Logging Life course. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like an e-course that you read. And one of their tips was get to know your audience. Give a reader survey. And I literally was like, well, who's going to take it? <laughs> like no one's going to take my survey. And I was like, you know what? What does it hurt? Even if 10 people take it, that's something. That's some feedback. And so I did it through Google Docs. You can create a survey with answers and clickable buttons, and then it uploads. You can put the embed the link right into your blog post, and then it actually spits you out a spreadsheet. Um, okay. And I, I post all the results in my blog, and it was really – I got some really invaluable feedback, and I would absolutely do it again. Um, you know, I'm not this huge blog that had these 14,000 responses and that kind of thing, but the, the 200 or so people that took my survey, it was invaluable. So, That's a really great idea. And we, you know, um, 
oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts, just thoughts. <laughs> we, um, we, you know, we talked about blogging for one. We've done a whole episode on editorial calendars and the rebranding. We talk about surveys, but I think that one thing that Megan is is saying is that. And, and a huge takeaway for a DIY blogger is at the end of the day, you're still a person, right? And people on your blog, they might be coming to see your amazing crafts and quilts and recipes and food and parties, but they still want to know who you are. And I noticed mm -hmm. that I, I like Young House Love and The Handmade Home and Megan's blog and iHeart Organizing, you know, like you feel like you're in their house and you know their stories and, and, and their dreams and their wishes and their plans. And how do you, you know, make sure that you're giving that, Megan? Like, how can you infuse that personality into you your know, post? It's interesting. It's something that I didn't do for a long time is include personal stories and personal anecdotes because it was, um, to me, it was I was posting my projects. I felt like that's, that's kind of what I signed on to do when I started my blog. And then I noticed in myself that the posts that I absolutely always clicked open in my reader or from Young House Love, from Janet iHeart Organizing, were their personal posts. You just kind of love, just like how you like to follow your favorite stars on Twitter and Instagram, it's kind of the same thing. You just want to see that behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I have been amazed. The posts that I share personal stuff are my highest traffic posts. And I try to go back and analyze it. Maybe it was the day, maybe it was the time I posted, maybe I shared it extra. No, I think people genuinely just like to know about the person behind the blog. Because we are all fascinating people, the readers and us, and um, yeah, I I think there is something about sharing that personal component. And I look at the blogs that I've stopped following. A lot of the time is because I don't know who they are. You know, it could be anybody posting that project. So I think the personal connection is really important. Yeah. And I'm still. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we're we're kind of coming up on time. I think we've got maybe about five minutes left. Can you? Mm -hmm. Just say really, say really quickly, a lot of people go into DIY blogging thinking that it's going to be the answer to getting sponsors and affiliates. Can you just give us a really brief overview as to how you kind of feel like sponsorships work in the DIY blogging world? I don't know if I'm much of an expert because I have not done it, done any type of sponsorships or ads for the first couple years of my blog. And as I'm growing and as I am seeking out things more, it's starting to happen. I will just say that I certainly, and I think almost any blogger would say this, maybe not now because it's so common, blogging is hard. It's a ton of work. It takes a ton of time. Taking picture, Making the project, taking the pictures, staging the pictures, editing the pictures, just to set yourself apart and do all these things takes a ton of time that I never anticipated. Um, so then to get into the business side of it and the sponsorship side of it is a whole nother workload. I mean, it's a whole um, different component of it. I think for a long time, I think the biggest takeaway is I think I sat here in my little office and waited for people to come to me. I waited for sponsors to find me. I waited for um, to be discovered. Even though I had read over and over and over again, there's just too many blogs. Companies can't find you. They don't find you unless you have some project go viral or that kind of thing. And I have found my key to starting to work with more companies, which it's now kind of happening very quickly. It's almost like you start with one and all of a sudden people find you and, and that kind of thing. But I have had to seek those opportunities out. And that has been, I think, the biggest shift in my perspective. I would get a generic email that before I would just delete and say not a good fit for my blog. 
But now I go back to them and say, okay, what you're proposing to me doesn't work with my blog, but how about this? Are you interested in working together? And I've been amazed that almost every time I've done that, the door has swung wide open. So just a matter of asking, of pursuing. Um, there's a, a, quite a few things that come across my, my inbox that does not appeal to me, that just is not a good fit for me. I honestly don't have time to create content for the sake of creating content. I, I really don't. Like, I squeeze... I don't have an interest in working with a product that doesn't make sense for me. If I if it's not going to work in my home or for my family, I it's not worth the free product or the money or whatever. So, um, but there have been times now that it, like the party um, company is a, a perfect example. A pitch had come across my desk that wasn't quite a right fit, but I went back and said, "But are you willing to sponsor my parties?" And they said, "Absolutely." So I think. Seeking out those companies that you want to work with is the biggest, the biggest thing because they are not going to find you. <laughs> and I think uh, bloggers need to hear what Megan said too—that it took some, like you have to build your blog first. Like you can't just start the first day and sit down and start DIY blogging and then be like, "Where are you?" Like you yeah. know? <laughs> even four years later, you know, there's some companies that I would love to have come knock on my door, and even when I try to find their doors, I can't find them. So, um, <laughs> so I think there's still a lot of mystery for me. Of, of trying to figure that side out, but little by little, I'm starting to to find my way into those doors. And then finally, one more thing, and I know I know we're coming up on 30 minutes like super fast, but <laughs> we um, for the North Carolina Blogger Network, we actually run campaigns. We work with brands and we work with tourism departments, and we run campaigns where we fit bloggers with with people with the pe you know the right fit. So and those are usually paid. One of the things that we have been told many times is that from the brands and from the tourism departments is, well, we like that blogger, except that their photos are kind of weak. And because the internet is so visual, you know, if you're a brand or if you're a tourism department, you're trying to sell your city or your town, like you want people to see this beautiful visual representation. Right. So, for the, so for the DIY blogger, like what are your top tips? You don't have to get into detail, but what are your top tips about how to really rock the photography so that you can get those campaigns? I'm not a photographer pro by any stretch of the imagination, but I have kept working at it, and I go back and I look, and I feel like my pictures are getting better and better. So the one thing is just practice. Keep trying. I guess the overarching thing is take your photos seriously. I This might sound a little harsh, but I feel a little insulted sometimes when DIY bloggers just kind of throw pictures up there. Like, there are a lot of bloggers out there. You do, the reality is, is you have to care about your photos. You have to care about how they look, if the lighting is right, if they're edited well. I feel like that's just kind of part of the game right now. Um, but I force myself to learn how to, how to work in manual. Um, I didn't take any classes. I watched some YouTube videos. My husband was able to help me figure some of it out, so I know just enough to be able to take photos. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of the same tried and true stuff. Use natural light. I do think taking some staging goes, doing some staging, especially for a craft project or a, a remade piece of furniture, goes a really long way. In here's just a snapshot of my house. To here's an article. Here's a tutorial. It just kind of sets it aside of a, of just a documentary type style. To here's a, a professional piece of writing or a project that I've done, kind of thing. Um, I, my tactic, again, I'm not a professional photographer, is take as many photos as I can in every setting that I can, from every angle that I can, and then I whittle down, whittle down, whittle down, which admittedly makes my photography step of my editorial process long, because sometimes I'll have 500 pictures. 
95% of which are really bad. Um, but that's how I get my, my 12 really good photos that end up on the blog. Um, well, it's obviously working out because your blog has been growing like crazy, I mean, just recently. And I know that you guessed a lot of places as well, and those are always fabulous posts to read and different content usually, too, than what's on your blog. So you obviously are doing something that people want to see and, and things that are great, and we really appreciate your time. I don't know if there's anything that else that you want to throw out there to our DIY bloggers real quick before we end. I know I've been asking a ton of questions. No, I, mean, I think it is. I think when I get in that blogger burnout and I or the, the readership is low or stats aren't doing what I want them to or you feel like you're working and working, I, I'll say to my husband, why am I even bothering with this? But it is so fulfilling. I mean, there is something, if you've never been a crafter, there is something so fulfilling about making something with your own two hands. And then I feel like the the staging and the photography and the posting and the writing just takes that project, like it like completes its cycle. You know, like it that's a whole different element of actually creating something doing the blogging component of it. And I have found that part as equally as fulfilling as making it. And so it's always amazing to me to even think that I would stop doing it because I really love being able to share what I create. So um, but I do think if you're going to get into this, you need to love to create stuff because it is hard and it feels awful when you just want to spend a Saturday on the couch, but you feel like you have to go make something for the blog. So if you don't love to, to work hard and get dirty, it's probably not the thing for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that that's what people really need to know. And again, check out Megan's blog, The Homes I've Made. It's a fabulous blog all around, beautiful to look at. Um, I'm not a DIYer, and every time I get something in my feed from her, I open it up and look. So that says something. Um, so Blogging Formula One, we're now a podcast. Go find us on iTunes. If you haven't yet, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we are going to work on bringing you some content marketing expertise for our next episode. So we do everything here. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to Megan and to Tiffany. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.